is Hinter Tales. I'm Rachel Dunstan Muller with stories of curious people, places, and events from the margins of history. On paper, Dr. Howard Liebgold was an exceptionally successful man. He was a physician certified in rehabilitation, and for 25 years he served as the chief of the Kaiser Foundation Rehabilitation Center in Vallejo, California. In 1991, he was even elected California's Rehabilitation Physician of the Year. But Dr. Liebgold had a secret one he considered so shameful that he kept it hidden from his colleagues, his friends, even his own wife. His secret? He was severely claustrophobic and agoraphobic, and for 31 years these phobias kept him a virtual prisoner, ultimately allowing him to feel safe in only two places, his home and the hospital. Now, to find the source of Dr. Liebgold's phobias, we have to go back in time to his undergrad years at UCLA, the University of California at Los Angeles. Howard was a pre-med student back in those days, and this was a huge deal since he was the first member of his family to go beyond high school. The family business was a failing hardware store, so Understandably, Howard felt tremendous pressure to keep up academically. It was the only way forward as far as he was concerned. Consequently, from his very first year in university, Howard set the bar high, resolving that he would study a minimum of six to eight hours every day, weekends included. So Howard was already wound pretty tight when he entered his third-year Shakespeare class on the day that would change everything. He'd only been sitting for a few moments when his heart began to race and his breathing became rapid and his hands were suddenly cold and sweaty. Worst of all, he began experiencing severe stomach cramps and the sudden need to empty his bowels. It was so bad He raced out of the room, afraid that if he didn't, he would die. It was Howard's first panic attack and the beginning of a life ruled by fear. For the next 31 years, he couldn't go anywhere without worrying that he might have another attack. Understandably, Howard took special precautions to make sure that he would not experience that kind of trauma again. He managed to calm down enough to attend his next class that day, but first he went to the bathroom to ensure he didn't have an accident, and he sat in an aisle seat closest to the door to ensure a quick getaway if he needed it. He also vowed that he would never tell anyone about his experience. He was afraid they would think he was crazy, which would then disqualify him from going on to medical school. What Howard would later learn, many years later, was that these three decisions, to use the bathroom when he didn't have to, to sit in an aisle seat near the door, and to keep his experience a secret, 
only serve to reinforce and even feed his anxiety. And his phobias did indeed get worse. Howard felt his anxiety primarily in his stomach and his bowels. His worst fears, therefore, were that he would either vomit in public or have an accident. For 31 years, he perpetuated these fears by refusing to eat before lectures and only eating white foods before social events, just in case he did get sick. Not surprisingly, Howard's world quickly shrank. He became an expert at avoiding triggers and hiding his phobias from everyone around him, but secretly he lived in a constant state of high anxiety. He got married and never told his wife about the burden he carried. He went to medical school and did well, despite the increased pressure and lack of sleep that came with regularly studying into the early hours of the morning. But his efforts paid off. He made it through medical school with honors, always going to the bathroom before class and always sitting in an aisle seat near an exit. If it seems hard to believe that Howard could be married, be a father, and have a successful medical career, all without anyone knowing that he was struggling with such crippling anxiety, you have to understand the lengths that he went to keep his secret. He became an expert at deflecting attention from his fears. Fathering his three children when they were young was easy. He felt perfectly safe when he was taking care of them at home, and parks were mostly fine too with their wide-open spaces and public restrooms. Working as a physician, that was safe as well, with the exception of meetings in the hospital. These could become quite uncomfortable, but Howard had a beeper, which he was able to use as an emergency escape device. If he felt his anxiety rising, he would simply make his beeper go off, and then he'd exit to go and see a patient or have an imaginary consultation on the nearest phone. As Howard's anxiety increased, eventually extending to restaurants, theaters, buses, freeways, bridges, airplanes, anywhere he didn't have immediate access to an escape or a bathroom, he did try to find help. He found a psychiatrist, away from the hospital where he worked, of course, so none of his colleagues would know he needed help, and he spent 11 months and almost $17,000 trying to get to the root of his problems. At the end of that period, he felt a little better about himself, but the phobias hadn't budged. At that time, therapists didn't have access to the effective techniques they use today. And then, life got worse. Considerably worse. Howard's oldest son, Mark, a brilliant straight-A student in both high school and college, took his own life when he was 21. It wasn't till after he was gone that Howard learned his son had been struggling with severe agoraphobia, a diagnosis that Howard didn't yet understand himself. 
In the aftermath of that tragedy, Howard's marriage ended and he sank into despair. He was increasingly using alcohol to self-medicate, and he began to give serious thought to following his son. If he did take his own life, however, he was determined to make it look like an accident, and so instead of buying a three fifty seven Magnum, he bought a twenty two caliber Target pistol, and target shooting became his new hobby. But something kept him from actually pulling the trigger. He would later write, I was afraid I might miss, become paralyzed, and end up a patient in my own rehab center, unable to run from my claustrophobic fears. And so I carried on, one difficult day at a time. Howard did carry on the best he could until everything came to a head in October 1983. His surviving son, Greg, desperately wanted to attend the opening ceremony of the 1984 Olympic Games in Los Angeles. Well, as you can imagine, this was a nightmare scenario for Howard. In fact, he had a severe panic attack just thinking about the packed freeways and the crowded stadium. But he consoled himself with the knowledge that it would be very difficult to get tickets. In fact, one newspaper reported that the odds were 1 in 4,500. So, Howard mailed in the application, fully expecting that it would be unsuccessful. On the same day that Howard received a congratulatory letter from the Olympic Committee stating that he had, in fact, won two tickets to the opening ceremony, he also received not one, but two subpoenas, two summons to court. As the chief of a large rehabilitation center, it was not unusual for Dr. Liebgold to have to deal with lawsuits filed by patients who had suffered catastrophic injuries. But it was highly unusual to receive two subpoenas on the same day. In fact, it never happened, except on that one fateful day in 1983. For Howard, the confinement of being in court was brutal, not to mention the pressure of lawsuits potentially involving millions of dollars. So Howard was in agony that day. He thought he might explode. Within the space of a few hours, he'd received notice that he had not one, not two, but three terrifying events looming over him. I think it's worth turning to Howard's own words at this point. I was frantic, he would later write. I couldn't see a way out. Should I use that target pistol now? I was never closer to ending my life. I don't know if you believe in God or a universal spirit, but my God, who because of my perverse sense of humor resembles Mel Brooks, said, Howie, you better watch the 10 o'clock news. So Howard did watch the news that night. And it just happened that there was a local story about a group in a nearby community that was claiming phenomenal success with phobias. They mentioned the name of the organization, but... It was a strange acronym, and Howard wasn't able to write it down fast enough. 
Remember, this was before the internet, so he couldn't just look it up. But the very next morning, there it was again, in a follow-up article in Howard's local newspaper. The organization was called TERAP, short for Territorial Apprehension. He called that same morning and had an intake interview that afternoon. For the first time in 31 years, Howard was told that what he had were panic attacks and agoraphobia, and that they were both absolutely curable. Howard cried then, and he cried again, many times, whenever he shared the story of that liberating moment. Howard enrolled in the 16-week class and devoured all the reading material they gave him. The techniques that the organization used were grounded in science, but the results seemed almost miraculous. After just four weeks, or eight hours of instruction, Howard was 95% better. He cried more tears as he sat in the middle of a movie theater watching Robert Redford. It was the first time he'd sat in anything but an aisle seat without anxiety for 31 years. Oh, and the target pistol? It went up for sale. Over the next several weeks, Howard systematically confronted every single phobic fear he'd managed to collect over the years. He rode in elevators and on rapid transit. He went to shows and ate in restaurants. He gave lectures, depositions, court testimony. He started dating for the first time since his divorce. And then, on the 28th of July, 1984, he attended the opening ceremony of the Olympic Games with his son, Greg. He survived the bumper-to-bumper traffic and sat 35 seats from the aisle, without anxiety, in a coliseum packed with almost 100,000 people. Now, here's where the story gets personal for me. You see, following his own incredible victory, Dr. Howard Liebgold decided to devote the remainder of his professional life to helping other people overcome their fears and obsessions. And that is exactly what he did. He was an extremely effective teacher for many reasons, not least of which was that he understood intimately what his patients suffered. As he used to brag in his classes, I never met a patient who had a symptom I didn't have. In 31 years, I had them all. Howard added his own signature bits to the gradual desensitization program that had helped him, including a totally wacky sense of humor. And over the next 25 years, Dr. Fear, as he came to be affectionately known, spread the word everywhere he could. He led workshops, wrote books and resources, appeared on Oprah Winfrey and other TV shows. In fact, he's credited with directly helping over 10,000 people overcome their own crippling phobias. 
While I never met Dr. Liebgold, I count myself among the people whose lives he helped transform. You see, back in 2013, the same year that Dr. Liebgold passed, I discovered his book, Freedom from Fear, in my local library. The seed for my own phobia was planted many years ago during a traumatic taxi ride overseas. That seed lay mostly dormant for the next few decades until a stressful season in 2006 brought it back to the surface. I was driving home from a neighboring city when I suddenly had difficulty breathing and had to pull over. And I had to continue to pull over and take rests all the way back home. I was pregnant at the time, which meant that I was particularly vulnerable to stress and anxiety. But the anxiety continued even after I gave birth. In fact, for the next seven years, I was unable to drive on any stretch of highway without my stomach churning and my heart racing. My whole body would tense up, and I was so terrified that I was going to slam on the brakes and cause an accident that I stopped driving on highways altogether. My husband took the wheel whenever we were together, and I would take lengthy detours through the countryside when I needed to get to another community on my own. The counselor told me that I was only reinforcing my phobia by taking these detours, but I really didn't feel that I had a choice. There was no way I could hide my phobia from my husband and my three oldest children, but I did my best to keep it a secret from everyone else. Like Howard, I was also a prisoner to my shame. I did make a few attempts to confront my phobia over those seven years. But each experience was terrifying, and I just couldn't get any traction. By 2013, I was convinced that it was impossible. So what made me turn to the library for one last attempt? Two things. First, my youngest daughter, the child I'd been carrying when I had my initial panic attacks, started commenting on how Mommy always took the back roads whenever she drove. Her much older sisters knew about my phobia, but I'd been able to keep it hidden from my youngest daughter. I was deeply saddened that she too would soon know my secret, that I wasn't the strong, brave woman that I pretended to be. Second, a friend shared an extraordinary story of stepping out in an act of faith and how she'd been rewarded with a gift that exactly met her needs right to the penny. Well, I'm a person of faith too, and I was deeply convicted by her story. Who was I to decide what was impossible to God? It was time to pray and to step out in faith myself. If Howard Liebgold was led to the help he needed at exactly the right moment, I believe that I was led to Howard's book just when I was ready to receive it. The book, Freedom from Fear, was exactly what I needed. It was as if it had been written specifically for me. 
The combination could not have been more effective. Howard's inspiring story and intimate experience with phobias, his practical desensitization program rooted in science, even his off-the-chart wacky sense of humor, which proved to be very effective in disarming my fear. The book pointed the way, but of course, I had to do the actual work. It wasn't easy. It certainly wasn't always fun. But it was leap years more effective than anything I'd tried before. The bottom line? It worked. I haven't taken an unnecessary detour in years. I now pass slow-moving vehicles on the highway. And let me tell you, that is just short of a miracle. Howard Liebgold went on to have a very satisfying personal and professional life after conquering his phobias. He remarried, traveled all over the world. He became a sought-after expert in the field of phobias and obsessions. He even won multiple ballroom and tap dance championships with his wife, Carol Rose. Sadly, freedom from fear is now out of print, but you can still find copies online. You can also find some of Howard's resources on a website still maintained by his son, Greg. You can find it at angelnet.com. So why did I include a bit of my own story today as well as Howard's? Because I believe in the power of sharing our stories. I believe they provide encouragement and inspiration and that they point to what is possible, not only for other people, but for ourselves. Howard's book provided me with the practical tools I needed to confront my phobia, but without his own personal story of suffering and victory, I don't know that I would have trusted those tools. Howard's story gave me courage. It convinced me that my own victory was possible. I'll never be able to repay Howard for the gift he gave me. But perhaps by sharing this story, I've paid it forward. My primary source for this episode was the book Freedom from Fear, Overcoming Anxiety, Phobias, and Panic by Howard Liebgold, M.D., if you enjoyed Hintertales, please join me for my next episode, which features a true-life romance with a lasting legacy. This episode of Hintertales was written, narrated, and produced by Rachel Dunstan Muller, with music and sound effects by zapsplat.com. Learn more about my work at racheldunstonmuller.com.